0: Hi, this is Dave Summers, and welcome to AMA Edgewise. Rasmus Hugard is the founder and managing director of Potential Project, the global leading provider of leadership and organizational effectiveness solutions Based on training the mind. Rasmus has practiced and taught mindfulness for more than two decades. Also, with us is Jacqueline Carter. She is an international partner and North American director of Potential Project. She has over 20 years of experience working with organizations around the globe to enhance effectiveness and improve performance. Together, they're co authors of a very interesting book. One that, as I described to them before the microphones were turned on, kind of swims upstream of a lot of the, the other leadership books that are out there right now. It's entitled The Mind of the Leader How to Lead Yourself, Your People, and Your Organization for Extraordinary Results. So thrilled to have, have both of you here. I wasn't expecting two. This is so cool. Welcome to AMA Edgewise. Thanks Thank so, you so much. much.
1: Appreciate it.
2: Great to be here.
0: Before we jump into the book, I'm interested in organizations and projects that are so coolly or interestingly labeled as something called the Potential Project or Potential Project. Okay, you hooked me. What is it? What's Potential Project?
1: Right, so the Potential Project is a global organization that is working with around 500 of the leading organizations like Microsoft and Facebook and Google and the big companies around the world. What we do is we help their leaders and employees to basically be more effective, more innovative, and have better resilience by utilizing some of the mind training techniques like mindfulness, training, and compassion. So we basically help organizations to have better cultures and better performance and innovation.
0: And it's not just senior leadership right i mean it's like you you're you're effectively talking company or organization wide
2: absolutely so we definitely have a strong focus on leadership and that's also the generation of the book which we'll talk about in a moment but we work with all levels of employees and really actually look and i think this is what you were saying about loving organizations we really look at mindfulness and training the mind not just to be about an individual thing but it's actually about looking at how we work together how can we bring more mindfulness selflessness and compassion into everything that we do cuz Human beings are what make organizations, so if we can look at them as a whole as opposed to just as individuals in terms of how we interact, that's really where performance and innovation comes from.
0: In the book, you sell this concept of, and you have some wonderful diagrams that sort of go deep into this idea of this kind of three-part pie diagram, sketch of the universe as it is. One part is, is labeled mindfulness, another part is labeled selflessness, and another part is labeled compassion or MSC, as you call it. If you don't mind, please describe to me the MSC leader. Who is this person?
1: Right. So just first of all, the background of the MSC, how did that come about? It wasn't something we just grabbed out of thin air. So we did a two-and-a-half-year research project with the Harvard Business Review and uh, assessed around 35,000 leaders and managers around the world from all kinds of organizations, all kinds of levels. And we interviewed 250 C suite executives from some of the largest companies in the world. And out of that, we started to deduct what is really important for leaders in the 21st century. And mindfulness, selflessness, and compassion are three traits that we saw really, really foundational. So we could give a lot of examples of specific leaders that have sure. those, all of those, or some of them. But you we just describe what mindfulness, mindfulness and uh, well, compassion mean first. Well, I'm kind of interesting.
0: First? Can I have one? and not the other two things, or if I'm super strong in mindfulness, will you forgive me a little bit? I'm not being as selfless or compassionate. Or I'm over-the-top compassionate, but I haven't quite mastered that that mindfulness thing.
2: What we found is that mindfulness, first of all, is the ability to be able to be here now, to be present, to be aware. And that really is the starting point for then to be able to cultivate selflessness. Selflessness is basically making sure that we know that as a leader, it's not about me, because if it's all about me, then I might as well just be leading myself, I shouldn't be leading others. So selflessness enables us to not be egocentric, but to focus on others. And when you start focusing on others, the natural consequence of that is you start to say, hey, maybe I actually care about these people, maybe Mm -hmm. these people are important to me. So we really see that the three of them go hand in hand. And one really helps us to be able to cultivate the next cultivate the next. In answer to your question, can you be just mindful and not the other? two? Yes. And would that be good? Yes. But I think the sweet spot of leadership is really to be able to cultivate all three. Yeah.
0: People frequently use that analogy of the three-legged stool. Hmm. You know what I mean? And, and unless you want to be sitting on a, a wobbly stool or one that is sort of not level and is very uncomfortable to sit on, you want all three legs to show up.
2: And I would say that the other thing that I think is really interesting is that they're all qualities that can be trained. So all of us... Yeah, it says you. Really? <laughs> we can work together on that. <laughs> okay. Yeah, we'll follow up after right. the interview. Okay.
0: All right. Okay. Much of what you discuss in the book, I believe, is w- within the grasp of a- almost any leader on the organizational pyramid. But how do junior or middle management types of people, and I would argue that the AMA exists to help new managers and middle managers and aspiring leaders... What's in this book for someone who's a junior or a or middle manager to to help them affect something in larger scope as like sometimes daunting as corporate culture? You know, I mean, culture is people freak out when they hear that kind of term. And if I'm a junior manager, what's in this book for me to help me address or at least deal with? Corporate culture?
1: I would start with saying first of all, if you want to impact the culture, you have to be the impact that you want to see. Gandhi said, be the change you want to see in the world. So if these messages resonate with you as a junior manager, nothing should stop you from being them in the way you show up. And we all have impact, we're all part of creating the culture. So be the change first. I think that's the main thing. Then can you as one individual change the entire culture? Obviously you can't. Even the CEO can't. Nobody can. A culture is the collection of all the people in the organization and we all have a piece of that. Having said that, obviously having senior leadership buy into this is really useful. But what we see is that it is not often the CEO or the C-suite leaders that start to initiate these kind of initiatives. It's often coming from the ground up. We work with more than 500 large organizations, and with many of these, it ends up being really cultural transformation programs And it often doesn't start with the CEO, but some middle manager, junior manager, or even employee that hears about this and thinks it's really cool and starts to pilot it within the department. And then slowly, slowly it grows Mm -hmm. because the messages just generally resonate.
0: I got a question for you, Jacqueline. Can, let's say, a team leader, somebody who's got a small team, five, six, seven people, got a small budget, and they like to pursue this MSC type of approach, or they are – The embodiment of MSC, can they succeed in a larger fishbowl corporate culture that maybe is a little toxic? Can they survive as a bubble of MSC thinking within that larger, not so pleasant atmosphere?
2: I would say yes, but it's tough. I mean, truthfully, if you're influenced by a lot, we're all influenced by what goes on around us. And some of the things that we see in organizations today that really run counter to these principles are, you know, organizations that have expectations that people be always on. That's not healthy for us. That's not actually the way the brain works. The brain needs to be able to have downtime. So even if you as a team really want to be more mindful, better take care of yourself, better take care of your mind, better take care of each other. But the external environment is putting so much pressure on you in terms of deliverables, timelines, urgency, culture, shareholder gains, you know, short-term thinking, short-term results. You can create that oasis for sure. Mm -hmm. And should you? Absolutely, yes. Will it be tough? Yes. Is it worth it still to try? Yes.
1: I would also add to that that it is not so much just can you survive in that little bubble. To me, mindfulness, self and compassion its not just about the impact you have on others. It's also the impact you have on yourself. Mm-hmm. So if you're in a toxic culture and you're unmindful of it, you will become part of that culture. Sure. And it will change you. If you're mindful of the culture, you will know how to engage with it in a, let's say, more mindful way, meaning you can deal with it in a more skillful way. Well, the
0: beginning of each section of the book... Or the front of the book deals with, you know, you need to take care of yourself first kind of type of thing. Yeah, exactly. You know? Yeah.
2: And I would just say, because you mentioned earlier that a lot of AMA's focus is on those those aspiring leaders. That is one of the things that I think was a really key and interesting finding that we had. When we interviewed a lot of these C-suite execs, we were surprised to find a lot of them, they got seven to eight hours of sleep at night. They mm. all had good exercise regimes, even with ridiculous amounts of travel. And they were focused and they were able to be fully present when we were speaking with them. And we saw them, you know, deal with complexity after complexity and have the mental agility to be here now and then shift when they needed to shift. And I think that that's really one of the key messages is for those people that aspire into that C-suite level. The idea of being focused, taking care of yourself, having self-compassion is a really great place to start. You surround yourself
0: with that positive energy. It can't do anything but help.
2: Exactly. Exactly. And also taking good care of ourselves is actually the starting point for then being able to take care of our others and take care of our organization.
0: All right. How can a person recognize and place themselves within the proper quadrant of what you have determined to be the compassion matrix. And I, I'm testing you both on this a little bit because you, you obviously can see I'm, I'm being a little bit of a tongue-in-cheek skeptic on this type of thing. There might be somebody who would read this book and say, I can fake all of that. Uh, You know, I'll have them totally believe in that I'm this and I'm that and I'm wonderful and everything's beautiful. So the question is, how do I recognize and how do I improve my placement in something like the compassion matrix or put myself in the part of it that is
1: positive or perceived positive and is truly positive? So the compassion matrix is the idea that compassion just in itself doesn't stand so strong. You have to pair compassion with wisdom or professionalism, insight into how things really work. So there's a lot of misunderstanding generally in the corporate world about what is compassion. It's seen as slightly soft, a little bit fluffy, a little bit weird and kind of out of place in the corporate world. Our point is that compassion paired with wisdom, as we call it, that professionalism, is what enables you to actually make the right decisions. There are many organizations in just a compassionate space that have really great intentions, and that is so important, but that don't have the insight and the wisdom to execute on those aspirations in a positive way. So they end up basically having great intentions, but not delivering the results that they are looking for. Jacqueline, can I fake my way through this?
2: That's a great question. I would say, first of all, why do you want to fake your way through it? Do you want to fake your way through it because you really want to just manipulate everybody and you're really not a very nice person and therefore you just want everybody to bend to your will? Then no. Human beings are incredibly perceptive. We are actually more perceptual than we are conceptual. So people will know if you really don't have their best interests at heart. But let's say if you really do believe in what we've articulated in the book and there's tons of research and science to back up the benefits of being being a more compassionate leader, and you say, I know that I'm not a very compassionate leader, but I do really want to be, people will feel that. So there is an aspect of if you have the right intentions, maybe you're not in the right quadrant yet, but it sure is a better way to get there by being motivated to be the kind of leader that you want to be. And honestly, all of us are on a spectrum in terms of where we're at right now. And we all know that we can improve. And I think that that's really, again, a message of hope for anybody that actually wants to be in the right quadrant.
0: Rasmus, before we came into the studio here, I was again kind of testing you a little bit on this whole issue of the the, the heroic leader, the tough, take no prisoners, gonna take that hill, gonna take that flag, gonna be the best. I can possibly be, and there's some heroic folks out there who have written great books, have great blogs, run great podcasts or whatever. Your Jack Welch's, your Steve Jobs and stuff like that are just heroic, but they don't come off being as all that nice, as all that selfless and stuff like that. Do you find that the, the almost the, this meme or myth of the heroic leader doesn't do more harm than
1: good? I think there is definitely truth to that. One of our good uh, friends and collaborators, the managing partner, the global managing partner of McKinsey, who is uh, Don Barton, who's obviously working with all the senior leaders in this world, all the heads of states, he has done a massive piece of research over the past 12 years. He's basically saying being a senior leader today is becoming less and less about what you do and more and more about who you are. And in our research with all these 35,000 leaders, what we saw very, very, very clearly is that that whole myth of the strong Jack Welsh ideal leader it's just not not useful it's more about how you relate to the people you lead, how you relate to your peers it's much more about the human aspect of leadership than being that heroic thing and actually there's been Studies done on those kind of people that come in and try to save the whole organization with their MBA is actually not very good. Research Mm -hmm. is finding that MBA CEOs is actually doing worse than CEOs that have a more human-centric approach to their organization.
0: And is this a moment in time? Has has this always been important or are we only shining a, a flashlight on it now?
2: I think, I think that it's always been important. I think that human beings do want to be led by people that are present with them, that care about them, and that have their interests at heart. But I do think that we are seeing a moment in time where these qualities are becoming more important. And I think one of the reasons is, is that this idea of the heroic leader, it's, it's just impossible right now. There's too much change, there's too much disruption. For any one individual to be able to know all, see all, have all the answers yeah. is just ridiculous. And I think that the other thing is we're seeing with the next generation of workers they don't want to be led by somebody who's standing up on a pedestal Mm -hmm. that's just not of interest to them i might have been okay with that when i started my career but that's not what we're seeing the next generation of workers is actually saying i want to i want to feel like i'm getting some purpose and some meaning and i i want to feel like i'm part of this and if you're standing up there on a pedestal so distant from me that doesn't make me feel engaged do you find that
0: some leaders are, are just better suited to this type of approach that you discuss in the book here, while others, you know, they, they may have major challenges to be open to this type of personal change.
1: There's no doubt that there are leaders that embody and have these qualities just on their own. I mean, it's just natural for them. Many, many of those. And there are others that have more skepticism, a harder time to embrace them. What we find, though, is those that are really skeptical about it, first of all, when they see the, let's say, the business case, when they see the scientifically validated results on this kind of leadership, that certainly shifts them. And we have worked with some of the most hard-nosed senior leaders. We've worked with more than 100,000 leaders now. And when they start to embrace this, it makes a massive change in the organization, in the culture, when people see like one of those hard-nosed people really shifting around So yes, some have a harder time, but those are also also the ones that have even higher impact when they then actually shift. Right you notice the same thing?
2: Absolutely. And I think the other thing is, as Rasmus said, I mean, the business case, and that's really one of the other things that we we really wanted to understand what is happening with leadership today. And what we saw is there really is a leadership crisis. I mean, I'm sure you've, you know, many of the listeners have looked at the engagement scores, the Gallup poll continues to show that engagement numbers are abysmal, 24% of the workforce actively disengaged, only 13% are actually engaged in their work. In addition to that, just a study that we thought was was a little bit depressing, was 65% of employees would forego a pay raise to see their leader fired. I know. That blows that's, my mind. That blows my mind, too. And I'm sorry you know, for anybody who might have been part of that study because that's really depressing. And I think then that even when you show that to the skeptics and they know in their own experience that they feel overwhelmed and they feel under pressure and they see that they're maybe not being as effective They're even willing to try something as soft and fluffy-sounding as mindfulness, selflessness, and compassion. So I think that—and the science backs it up.
0: Well, this has been a very interesting conversation. I I wish you both just a ton of luck with the book. We've been speaking to Rasmus Hugard and Jacqueline Carter, co-authors of The Mind of the Leader, How to Lead Yourself, Your People, and Your Organization for Extraordinary Results. Very cool stuff. Thanks a lot. Thanks very much. Thank you. Join the American Management Association group on LinkedIn to share insights with thousands of your management peers and to discuss practices in the areas of organizational management and leadership. To find us, simply search for the group American Management Association from your LinkedIn account. back very seriously here at the AMA. If you get a minute, you have some thoughts about this program or additional questions, just send an email to us at podcasts at amanet.org.